This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, which means that clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in pubs and online. And their client satisfaction rate across multiple metrics is an amazing 98%. If you are looking for the new opportunity or the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. And now on to our show. Jane DeLuce is the president and CEO of Visit Champaign County in East Central Illinois and the executive director of the Visit Champaign County Foundation and feels honored to work alongside others in the community to promote the region as a welcoming destination to visit, work, and live. Jane previously worked for the University of Illinois Campus Recreation Department, the Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games, the South Florida Sports Festival, and the Broward County Parks and Recreation Department. With two degrees from the University of Illinois, she also received her CDME during the 2020 pandemic. She currently serves on the Destination International Foundation Board. She's past chair of the Illinois Council of Convention and Visitor Bureaus and is getting ready to host the Upper Midwest CVB Conference in September of this year. Jane also serves on the DI Advocacy Committee and the DI Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. And for her alma mater, Jane sits on the College of Applied Health Sciences Board of Visitors and recently chaired the University of Illinois Recreation, Sports, and Tourism Alumni Council. Jane and her husband, Joe, have two daughters, Jenna and Jordan, and the best traveling dog ever in Milo. Jane DeLuce, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. Happy to be here. It's been so long. It was probably, what, two weeks before the pandemic and everything just stopped that you invited us to join you for a, an Illini basketball game. It was great to be among all these people and just, what a great environment at, the, at your arena. And then everything just stopped. It did, yeah. <laughs> and so it's so great that we're getting back in the game again and can't wait to get back down to Champaign, especially for the Upper Midwest CVB Conference coming up in September. You know, we have this three-question format, and so many of our conversations on DMOU will drill down deeply into a single topic, but you've got so many irons in the fire in Champaign County that we're going to touch on three separate, but I think synergistic initiatives you've got in play. But before we do, the last time I was there, right before the pandemic took over our lives, people were pretty jazzed about a new sports arena, hotel, and conference center project being proposed for downtown called The Yards. Where is that project today? Well, Bill, you're right. I'm happy to say it's back on the table. So pre-pandemic, actually right after you were there and you were here because you had facilitated our strategic planning mm -hmm. session and yeah. we announced Destination 2023 and everybody was in a great mood. And we were two weeks from announcing Illinois hockey as a D1 sport, yeah. which is truly the impetus for this project. So it would be taking a campus facility and putting it in downtown Champaign. So a collaborative effort between Illinois Athletics, the city of Champaign, and the private developer. And as you mentioned, it included a hotel, a convention center, retail, sports arena, which would also then, besides hockey, have Illinois volleyball, gymnastics, and wrestling. Yeah. We were super excited about it. 
Obviously, it was on hold. Both the developer, the city, Illinois Athletics all lost money during the time of the pandemic. But now it is back on the table and it will truly transform downtown Champaign in a century, in a lifetime of terms of what it will do to transform our area. So it's back on the table. We're in discussions and I'm not sure exactly when, hopefully an announcement will be sooner than later. Well, it was an amazing plan. And I remember sitting in my hotel room, looking out over the site that it was going to be developed and just thinking, oh, this is beyond game changer. This is just so cool. And honestly, you know, downtown Champaign has really come alive in the past 10, 15 years on its own. And this would just be that extra impetus to uh, make it one of those uh, really iconic downtown destinations. Well, absolutely. And similar to a a city like Madison, Wisconsin, it connects downtown with campus. Mm -hmm. If you take a campus facility, which really is a lot closer than people might think to the north end of campus, you're within walking distance for these students to not only then come enjoy hockey or these other sports, but it engages the community more with those sports. So it's a win-win for everybody, just trying to get all the ducks in a row before it moves forward. I'm sure you'll be able to do that in the next couple of months. So all the best. Thank you. So first question, generating revenue for destination marketing and development, rarely an easy task, but you're finding some success with something that you call a community benefit funding model. So tell us about the genesis of the concept and where you are with this today. So as part of Destination 2023, our goal is to create a sustainable funding model and in part to lessen the dependency on government funding. So our two largest funders are the Illinois Office of Tourism and the City of Champaign, both who use a hotel tax revenue structure. We also created the Visit Champaign County Foundation in 2015, but not as active as it could have been, but it's a vehicle to further private support of community-based destination management initiatives. So when we had the severity of the financial impact for the shutdown of the industry during the pandemic, this further proved our need to recalculate our funding direction and diversify funding opportunities beyond reliance on the current hotel tax revenue structure. So this will not only represent a community investment in our efforts, it will be sustainable for years to come. In this funding model, so all our governmental partners, our regional marketing partners, hotel partners, and sponsorships will support our day-to-day VCC operations, our destination sales, our destination marketing. But then all private funding and project-based governmental funding support We'll fund initiatives such as our event bids. So if we have a bid for hosting the Illinois High School Association State Basketball, bringing in the Hot Rod Power Tour or the American Junior Golf Association All-Star Event, plus the work that we're doing alongside our Economic Development Corporation with talent recruitment, and then would also support destination development projects such as the African American Heritage Trail, air service development, and the regional film office, which is located with Visit Champaign County. So putting that all together, what we were figuring out is if you took a financial institution and they were giving funding to us to help with our day-to-day, then they were giving funding to help with bringing in the state basketball tournament. Now they're giving funding to help with the destination development project. What it created was inefficiency 
in being able to not only recognize them for the funding that they've given, but you keep going back to the same well. So now the idea is that you go to that bank or that insurance company or whoever that partner could potentially be and say, we would like to recognize you for all of the contributions that you're giving us. Please know that it will go toward the foundation. So then you have the tax purposes and it will be able to contribute towards these types of activities, which really are very resident driven. So it's going well, it's still a work in progress. And part of it is that it impacted our board structure. We totally revamped our board structure, mm -hmm. which did have designated representatives from funding partners. So now we still have those if there's a pre-existing agreement but if a new group comes in, they're not getting automatically a board seat on either the board or the foundation board. And we feel like people then are going to be contributing towards the ways to further our message and further our initiatives, but a broader community-based support. So that part is definitely going well. Yeah. And I think not unlike shared community value that Jack and the folks at Destinations International has been championing now for a couple of years. I just think just the name of the initiative, Community Benefit Funding Model, really gets us back to where I think we all are going as DMOs, and it's a community benefit. You're communicating to the community that this is for them. Absolutely. And it also, yeah. it helps bring in your day-to-day -day residents. So during the pandemic, one of the things that we created was a hospitality relief fund to help displaced workers in that industry. And we had people who wanted to write a $25 check. So it gave an opportunity through the foundation to support a project, to be able to do it quickly. So you're not going through a bunch of agreements and all the things that go with some of the other larger partnership dollars, but it made every person who wanted to contribute towards this fund an opportunity to support it. And I think that in itself really speaks to the whole idea of what we're doing benefits a community. I absolutely believe everything that Jack and Andreas and the folks at DI Foundation are doing to be able to have that messaging that at the end of the day, what we're doing is for our residents. Yeah. Not to get too far in the weeds on this, but I want to go a little further with the whole foundation concept. I think a number of DMOs have considered it, but they believe that the restrictions on how the revenues can be applied may be too onerous for it to be of any real value. I remember, geez, this had to have been 20 years ago when Visit Pittsburgh used their foundation to do 30 or 40 videos for their website. And people went, what? He goes, well, we're doing videos of all of our arts and cultural institutions. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there is a fine line that you have to walk, but tell us about the fine line that you walk in things like tournament bids or other things. How do you use the foundation in ways that maybe most people wouldn't think you could? I think the key is transparency. The difficult part is that if you're bidding competitively on bringing in an event and it does get down to the amount of funding, you don't really want that to become public knowledge. Not necessarily that we have anything worried about it, except that it shows your competitive hand. You don't want to tell people that, hey, we're, you know, we're contributing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I also think that when you talk to these financial institutions or insurance companies or other people who are supporting you, they're not really wanting to pay for the light bulbs. The key is being transparent in the funding you give us 
will go toward this event that in turn creates jobs, puts money back into the economy, keeps our local businesses open. People can see that versus just the standard way of saying we're promoting the community because sometimes that's perceived as fluff. Let's be honest. That's what some people see it as. And so if you can get away from that language and say, this is helping to support your next door neighbor, my next door neighbor, these are the people who are going to benefit from this, then I think people can kind of see it. But the key is definitely transparency. We're very upfront with our foundation board and talking through like, here's how we're going to spend these funds. It's going to go towards this event, or it's going to go towards, in this case, a destination development project that we're working on. And I think as long as you're transparent in what you do, people will be more receptive to the idea that you have two organizations. Yeah, I will say with the two organizations, you are managing two different board of directors And it is definitely something to take into consideration when you're setting that up, because both take a lot of time and effort and you have to balance those and then figure out how you keep the communication between the two boards, as well as the reporting back between the two boards. At the end of the day, the foundation philosophically is to support the work of VCC, mm-hmm. but now the work of VCC has expanded to truly be a community benefit. Okay. So another uh, initiative that you're really excited about is the African-American Heritage Trail in your county. So tell us how this project had its genesis and how it's evolving. So really in 2020, When we talked about the idea of racial injustice and what was happening in the world, community dialogue around led to city council members from Champaign coming to us and say, how about you, VCC, creating a mural that would celebrate Black history in downtown Champaign? And I thought, wow, okay, sure, we can look at that. Mm -hmm. So we brought a group together. Yeah. And we quickly realized it was a much greater need that needed to tell these untold stories that were much beyond one mural. There were so many things. And I didn't grow up in this area, but even if I had, I wouldn't know these stories because they weren't taught in the schools. They weren't really covered in the newspaper. I went to two African-American women who happened to be cousins Barbara Suggs Mason and Angela Rivers, whose families have lived here for over 150 years. And I said, I want to create a committee. This is what we want to do. What are your thoughts? And would you be involved? And they were wary at first because it was like, okay, why would you want to do this? You know, what's, what's the point behind it? And I said, as much as I'd like to say it's to attract visitors, it's really about resonating with our residents. Mm -hmm. So we collectively created a mission that is to educate today's residents and visitors about the rich cultural history of a people whose stories have been largely unrecognized, but directly shaped the place we call home. Our vision is to inspire conversation, expand understanding, and contribute to a better society. Cool. And very important goal for the trail that they talk about is a free and accessible experience for all visitors and community members. Love it. So it's a pretty phenomenal project, and we're planning to kick off the trail. It won't be fully developed, but kick it off this summer, 2022. And it includes interactive technology, interpretive signage, 
a public art, murals, education curriculum, which was very important to both Barbara and Angela, who are retired educators, and marketing special events. And a really cool piece of it is going to be a transformation of a park that is going to be celebratory towards a music hall of fame. So we will be inducting African-American musicians who have contributed to the community over the decades. Wow. (laughs) And tell me about some of those stories. I mean, you're so right that the stories that have gone untold for so long, we are currently doing some work in Lynchburg, Virginia. And just by the very name of the community, there is some pushback and saying it's, you know, that's where people were lynched. Well, that's, that's not the case. In fact, the city is named after a man named Lynch who was the first person to emancipate slaves in the community. So, I mean, it's an absolutely opposite story of what you would expect. What are some of the cool stories that you're finding in Champaign County? Oh, there are so many. One very recognizable to a lot of people is the Tuskegee Airmen. The birth of the Tuskegee Airmen is at the old Chanute Air Force Base in Rantoul, Illinois. Oh, really? Yes. And they've gotten so far as a street sign to recognize them. This is no criticism to the village of Rantoul, but the Air Force Base closed and that, you know, the village is working to recreate itself. But we thought that is a story that is, is something that needs to be shared because it gets a lot of press around the area. There, there's still a couple, a few left, not very many because of age. And just the idea that that happened in our backyard. At the same time, there was a picket of African-American people who could not get a job at the J.C. Penney in downtown Champaign. And one of them was married to an Air Force officer in Rantoul but yet couldn't get a job working at the local department store. Frederick Douglass spoke in downtown Champaign where our main plaza is. I never knew that. And here we're going to look at at this idea that Frederick Douglass spoke here in Champaign. So there's another part of it. On campus, because this will be a huge part of the University of Illinois campus, they had an initiative called Project 500, which was to enroll a large number of African-American students. People know that part of it, but what they didn't know is there was no provision for housing. They could go to school, but they couldn't live on campus. So it became up to Albert R. Lee, who is kind of unofficially known as the Dean of African-American Students. It came up to him working with church pastors to work through the African-American families on the North End to provide housing for these students. So that's just a couple examples, Bill. I mean, it, yeah. it has been amazing. The rich agriculture background in the African-American community is amazing that I wouldn't have thought about because you largely think of farming in terms of really from the white perspective and so much of that. And Homer, which is right down the street from here, small town, mm-hmm. the first yep. African-American graduate of the University of Illinois is from Homer High School. I would have never thought of Homer being really where a lot of African-American families lived before actually living in Champaign as well. So it's just, you talk to both Angela and Barbara, as well as other people on the committee. We have librarians, we have archivists, we have a gentleman from Historical Society, from the different museums, our historical museum. And then we have people from the park districts and people from elsewhere that are just from the community that want to be involved as well as from the university. And so it's really a project 
that is transforming our community and being developed by the community. But I will tell you, when people talk about being involved in destination development, this is truly (laughs) a lot of time and effort, a lot of listening which has been wonderful and learning so much, yeah. a lot of discomfort of things that did not know happened. And yet we want to still make sure that that story is told, which is why it's so important that's, that this will be part of the curriculum in the schools. But I think more important is from our legacy standpoint, this will be something that we can say help make happen. And there's been other attempts for like a website that was done that was developed by a grad student But when the grad student left, it wasn't maintained. Mm. And I think that's why initially both Barbara and Angela were wary, like, okay, we've done this before. We've shared our stories and they're sitting on a website that doesn't exist anymore. And we've promised them that through the Visit Champaign County Foundation, it will provide that entity that tells these stories for generations to come. Yeah. Great continuity. Congratulations. Thank you. I, it'll continue to evolve, right? It, I mean, there's histories being made today. And so I think that's the part of it too. It's not just about historic preservation. It's about creating a better future. So that's really what we're all about. Very cool. And lest our listeners think that you've abandoned with all these new initiatives, the traditional DMO staples like pursuing major events, nothing could be further from the truth. After 77 years in Champaign, the state high school boys basketball tournament decamped for Peoria. I can't believe that it was back in 1996. I remember as a former Illinois resident, I mean, that was, I mean, congratulations to Peoria, but that was a dagger to the heart of anybody who was a Champaign County, a Illini fan. It was always, I mean, growing up since I was a little kid, it was always in Champaign and you got it back. And this year will be the first time back in what was Assembly Hall in decades. So tell us how you wrested this iconic event away from Peoria and what else you're setting your sights on these days. (laughs) Well, definitely a community effort and kudos to Peoria. They did a great job for hosting it for 25 years. I think like anything, high school sports has changed so much from what people will remember all of us growing up. That was all there was. There wasn't AAU and all these league plays where recruitment is done for colleges outside of that. So I think two key things happened. One, as you mentioned, the newly renovated State Farm Center. I think having a facility where you have the technology with the ribbon boards and the video board and the interactive way to engage the fans is huge. Yeah. Also, the fact that we have the new athletic director at this time, Josh Whitman, and his leadership team they wanted it back. I mean, more so even than we did. And they were true partners in this effort. So it was a great opportunity for us to work alongside our our athletic department, as well as other community partners. And then the third thing is it, it premiering a new format. So it's made sense in a new facility to have a new look that all four classes, so 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, will all be played in the same weekend. So it is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the games getting through, then the semifinals, and then Saturday will be championship Saturday with all of the games happening in between the three-point competition that happens. And another thing that I'm really proud of is that Wheelchair Basketball State will happen at the same time at our campus recreation facility, the Activities and Recreation Center of the ARC. 
and being able to host that simultaneously. And then the goal will be not this year, but in future years, being able to play their final game on the floor of the State Farm Center will be very important to our efforts. So uh, everyone is excited to have it back. Yeah. People are excited for the new facility. But as I've said, it's a different way of high school sports now. So hopefully it gives kind of this excitement to bring back to high school basketball. Yeah. So it's going to be great. And what else is in the pipeline for you? So we are working on, we just hosted the Hot Rod Power Tour this past year, which involved about 4,000 cars. And that is something that now understanding that we have outdoor opportunities, like we always think, I think in the DMO world, of what's our indoor facilities when you live in cold weather climate. And the idea that you can take large parking lots and turn them into basically this huge festival. So we're looking at some other opportunities in there. Mm -hmm. And then we just opened the Rantoul Sports Complex, which is a 60 acres. It is amazing, the facilities that are there. So a lot of our attention is bringing in new sport events. And one is a world flag football championships that's happening um, this spring. And then one that I'm very proud of that goes along with our DEI efforts is hosting Beep Baseball, which is baseball for the visually impaired. And we're working to have a regional event and then work on a national bid to bring that in um, in future years. And then one that I'm hoping we'll be able to host is a mustache and beard competition at our historic <laughs> Virginia theater downtown. So yes, we've got a lot of interesting types of projects. We're definitely trying to think of ways to feature our unique facilities and the Grand Tool Sports Complex, the historic Virginia theater, any of the other places in the area, we're trying to figure out how to use it. Well, it all sounds just fantastic. And congratulations on the community benefit funding model. I, we love when innovative DMOs begin to think, I hate the word outside the box, but that's what it is. It's, it's understanding that what we have depended on and leaned on for so long as our funding model is non-sustainable. And so looking at new ways is always excited. And the African-American Heritage Trail, I can't wait to get back down there and, and see what you've developed. Because as you said, that's something that you know may have happened in fits and starts with different committees and groups over time. But a destination marketing organization really does provide kind of that platform of continuity that it can live on long after the people who are putting it together today have moved on to other endeavors. There's that platform. There's the ability to keep it alive and keep the fire going. So congratulations on that and all that you do and all the volunteer work that you're doing for Destinations International. We appreciate that as well. Thank you. Absolutely. It's great to be able to connect with people. Yeah. So we can't let you go without the bonus round question. So we were talking about how all of us in our own way in this crazy industry, how we found our way to have the love of travel and tourism that we do. What was that spark that got us into the game? So what was yours? What spawned this love of travel for Jane Deleuze? Well, when I was 11 years old, I, along with about 40 other students from around the Springfield, Illinois area, spent a month in France. We were paired with a group of students from the Paris area, and we lived in a chalet in France that was right on the Swiss border. So we took, did our American studies. We learned a little French along the way. 
But the favorite part was our PE, our physical education classes were skiing in the Alps. So when people say, you've skied before, where do you learn to ski? And you say the Alps, people go, the Swiss Alps, people go, what? (laughs) So that was a pretty remarkable experience. When you look back on it now, as my parents let us go, there was no Facebook or no, you know, WhatsApp ways to communicate with our parents. You wrote letters and maybe they got to them, maybe they didn't. And we had great chaperones along the way, but we did the time in this part of France. And then we spent the last week in Paris. So we got to tour the Paris sites while we were there. And some people were paired with um, the Parisian students with their families. Some of us, like I myself, got to stay with one of the French counselors who took us to sides of Paris that probably most 11-year-olds wouldn't be seeing. It was great, great fun. Right. And then a really cool thing is we were the first American children to tour the Concorde that was at the Paris airport. So that's the time when the Concorde came out. We did not fly the Concorde. That would have been pretty cool, but we did get to tour it. And I think even then they made it a huge media event that we knew it was something pretty special to be able to be the first American students to tour that. So an 11-year-old in Paris, and you never looked back, did you? No, never looked back. (laughs) I blame my parents for letting me go to want to travel all the time. I did an internship in college in Scotland, and from there went to travel Europe on a bus. It's been a lot of fun and still enjoy it. And in fact, I have a daughter who's in Italy doing an internship this spring, and we are headed over to visit her later in the spring. Ah, so envious. Sounds great. Well, Jane, thank you again for joining us on DMOU. It's been a great conversation. Love what you're doing down there and look forward to uh, coming down, if not sooner, for the Upper Midwest CVB Conference coming up in September. Sounds wonderful. Thanks so much, Bill. Oh, you bet. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Subscribe to get notification when episodes post. And if you're digging what you hear, just tell your friends and leave a review. Thanks, too, to our sponsor, Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, meaning the clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in pubs and online. If you're looking for a new opportunity or for the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our book destination leadership, our position papers on board diversity and the future of destination marketing, our blogs, you know the drill, as well as links to other episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>